You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Eyewitness, released February 13th, 1981. It was written by Steve Tesich, directed by Peter Yates, and released by 20th Century Fox. The working title was The Janitor, and later The Janitor Doesn't Dance, which is what? my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite too. Why did they not go with that? <laughs> This is also the favorite of the writer and director, but Fox forced them to switch it to Eyewitness, but it released in the UK as The Janitor because Eyewitness had already been used for multiple other films there. It bombed so hard in the UK that they switched back to Eyewitness for all further international <laughs> releases. Watching the movie, I kind of guessed the actual origin of the story, but screenwriter Steve Tesich worked four summers as a graveyard shift janitor in college and developed a huge crush on CBS television news correspondent Leslie Stahl. Like the film's janitor, Tesich taped all of her broadcasts and decorated his home with her photographs. <laughs> Apparently, it actually started as two scripts. One was a murder mystery and one was a love story, and then Yates was the one who suggested that he combine the scripts into one film. A murder love. William Hurt found graveyard work as a janitor to prepare for the role, and it informed many of his decisions in the film. Screenwriter Tesich, director Yates, editor Cynthia Scheider, and DP Matthew F. Leonetti were reunited after their collaboration on 1979's Breaking Away, which collected four Oscar nominations, and a statue for Tesich. The production was briefly interrupted when a man on the street was chased onto set by a knife-wielding maniac. When the attacker realized that he'd run onto a film set, he left and the crew called an ambulance for the injured man. The film was remade in 2000 as the Bollywood comedy thriller Hum Tu Mohabit Karega, starring... Karishma Kapoor and Bobby Deal. I have a question. Yeah. If it's a Bollywood version of it, does that janitor dance? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be interesting if he was the only person who didn't in the whole cast. I don't know. Maybe. It's, I think it's a valid question. I don't know. We start with sweaty William Hurt wandering around a dark boiler room exactly where we left him in altered states <laughs> last year. Uh, he finishes hosing down some buckets, and then he pushes his janitor cart through the halls of a building where he works nights. He does that kid on a shopping cart thing where he builds up speed and then steps onto the cart to just ride it down the hall. I wonder if this is part of his uh, method acting. Be like, I did this, this while is what I was I did at the work. Whole time, yeah. <laughs> That's all I did. He arrives at the offices of Long International Trading and empties their trash into his bin. When someone comes out to retrieve the empty trash can, he asks if he can speak with Mr. Long. It sounds from their conversation like William Hurt's character, Daryl Deaver, recommended his friend Aldo for a job in their offices. I I, I took it the other way. I, I thought that, that he was fired, and he's trying to ask him to reconsider the firing of that. Yeah, I think that's how I understood it as well. Oh. They, they both used to be janitors here, and he got canned. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> or Trash uncanned. canned. <laughs> Interesting. I didn't. I didn't catch that at all. I thought it was like he was trying to get his friend a job. Hey, this is a total aside. But since I know you've been watching the Planet of the Apes movies, mm -hmm. and when I, every time I was watching, they kept Aldo. saying Aldo. Yeah, Aldo. Ape has killed ape. Aldo. Ape. <laughs> I, oh. I I kept waiting like for some reference to like I will get those human scalps. <laughs> like the other the other Aldo. Aldo. I don't know what you guys are talking about. There's a the ape that was the leader of the violent apes in mm -hmm. the fifth Planet of the Apes movie is named Aldo. But that's also Brad Pitt's name in Inglorious Bastards. Does he also sell shoes and purses? Yep. Okay. Mm. I, 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 know, I know that from where my office is. I pass by that Aldo. <laughs> uh, Claude Akins played that guy. It was weird that they got Claude Akins. Yep. <laughs> Not to be confused with Clay Aiken of American Idol fame. He lost a Reuben stuttered, robbed. Anyway. <laughs> you still hung up on that one, huh? 
<laughs> was that season two? I thought that was the first season, wasn't no, it? No, it was Justin Guarini. Oh, you're right. <laughs> Jesus Christ, how do you remember these guys' names? Because I didn't even watch a single episode of that season. Wait, wait, I know it for pop wait, culture was, purposes. Wasn't Kelly Clarkson on that one? Yeah, she beat Justin. Oh, she won? Yeah, and okay. then they made a movie together called From Justin to Kelly. <laughs> you know too much. <laughs> this is all staying in. Long says that although... <clears throat> nope, not although. I do that a lot. Long's... That's not even his name, by the way. His name's Alan. Yeah. <laughs> his name's Alan Mercer. But they call him Aldo, so yeah. I'm going to keep saying although for my talk to text. Well, which was weird because like in the credits, I think he's just credited as Aldo, but they keep referring to him as Alan. Yeah. And I was like, who the hell is Alan? I got confused, too. It's <sighs> weird. And I, I never put together that Alan and Aldo were the same person. Yeah. Alan Aldo? Long says that Aldo made some offensive remarks and he was not a good fit for their office. After work, Daryl clocks out with a key and walks to his BMW motorcycle to drive home. At his apartment, he is attacked by a large and angry-sounding dog that repeatedly wraps its teeth around the sleeves of his leather jacket. The dog's name is Ralph, I think. He calls a few animals Ralph in this, but I think the dog's name is Ralph. And we quickly learn that this is routine for them. Daryl crosses to his television and rewinds a tape recording of the night's news broadcast he plays through the tape until substitute reporter tony sokolov is introduced to review a robin hood musical and she's super fucking mean about it yeah (laughs) and if you think the knicks are incompetent you should see these merry men in the great tradition of taking from the rich and giving to the poor the producers of robin did likewise they took from their rich backers and gave to the poor the poor in this case are the lyricist, very poor, the book writer, extremely poor, and the poorest of them all, the composer. The cast, like the Sherwood Forest, were made of solid cardboard. The orchestra wisely stayed in the pits where the whole show belonged. She can't help but laugh at the end of this epic torching of some no-doubt garbage Broadway show. As the credits roll, the three newscasters all crack up after her savage roast. Yeah. We cut across town to a piano recital, again... Tony Sokolov, uh, she's playing the piano, and her parents are accompanying her on string instruments. From a doorway in the back of the room, her boyfriend Joseph smiles at the show. Over his shoulder, we see a woman bearing a vague resemblance to Sigourney Weaver that shares a glance with him, and he nods. Yeah, this woman makes several appearances in the film, and I get confused every time. Yeah, I think she's just supposed to be like a mistress of his. Well, I I mean, are we going to say what our thoughts are? Because I, I... totally disagree with that if that's your final assessment you think that she's just in on his business yeah i think i think that she is just his hired gun you you are supposed to suspect that this is a mistress but i think that that's why he has a very specific type (laughs) (laughs) uh but i think that ultimately she is just either a bodyguard or a task manager of getting these people across the border as we'll come to find out so Uh, my question though is does she, does she intentionally look like Sigourney Weaver a from like this guy's point of view did he do that intentionally for any particular I, reason I don't think he did that I don't think it was premeditated okay that she looked did the like filmmakers Weaver. do it on yes. purpose okay. I think I think she was cast to look like Sigourney Weaver on purpose yes. just to confuse us which if I didn't mention it before Sigourney Weaver is playing Tony Sokolov when the song ends, Joseph flips the lights on and moves to the front of the room to address the applauding crowd. He tells the story about the 56 Olympics and how the Hungarian water polo team beat the Russians. He says that Khrushchev sent the Hungarians a telegram. Congratulations on your splendid victory. Stop. We are proud of you. Stop. Sugar. Stop. Wheat. Stop. Credit. Stop. I didn't really understand this joke, but everyone laughs a lot. Uh, it's because they were stopping all those things from coming into Hungary. But... It doesn't work with the beginning of the message. No. I thought it would have been funny if they were like, oh, congratulations on your splendid victory. Stop. You're not invited back. Stop. Don't compete anymore. Stop. (laughs) Like they're just (laughs) telling them to stop over and over again. It seems like this is an organization to help free Jews that are held in bondage worldwide. He introduces one such refugee, Shlomo Kuprin, and urges everyone to give what they can. Also, it's it's of note that they start singing a... like a, a a Jewish hymn or song, right? And Sigourney Weaver seems very hesitant to join in, and until oh, Joseph until Joseph kind of gives her a, like a look, yeah, like don't embarrass me in front of these people, yeah. But it's like, but those are her people. <laughs> it's very weird. 
We cut to them driving on the highway the next day, and Tony, as I said, played by Sigourney Weaver, asks her boyfriend Joseph, played by Christopher Plummer, if he saw the young woman at the recital yesterday. I think she's talking about the woman that looks like Sigourney Weaver. Right. Mm -hmm. Tony was apparently taken by how calm she seemed, and Joseph does a very lazy job of changing the subject. I like cars. <laughs> we never took that trip across the country we talked about, did we? He might as well have just said, I like turtles. <laughs> she drops him off at the airport, and he lets her know that he would stay if he could. She accuses him of keeping information from her, and he admits to keeping a little bit. <laughs> He's just like, yeah, just a tiny bit. Um, as her car disappears down the road, the woman from the recital walks up to Joseph outside the airport, probably to give him a ride to wherever they're actually going. We cut back to Daryl's building, where he's sweeping papers into a trash compactor and activating it. He senses the presence of a second person and sneaks around looking for them, and a man sneaks up on Daryl from behind before he calls out, You're right behind me! It's his friend Aldo, who got fired by Mr. Long, and he's not supposed to be in the building, but he claims nobody saw him. Well, and what a what a crazy thing to do because part of the story is that they're both Vietnam vets. Yeah, sneaking and, up on yeah, vets. sneaking up on another vet. It's like that's a good way to get yourself killed. Yeah, especially since we'll learn later that Aldo is is essentially a coward, but that uh, his friend here is is a decorated war veteran. Mm -hmm. Turns out Aldo uh, lost the job because he's racist against Asian Americans after serving in Vietnam. For two years in Vietnam, we clean up, we mop up after them. They come back to our own fucking country and they're here again. Aldo asks Daryl if he thinks Mr. Long is still in the building, and Daryl says, yeah, he's working late tonight. Daryl offers to reach out to Long one more time, but Aldo tells him not to bother. I didn't understand why Daryl would bother helping this guy out, but we learn here that Aldo is actually his future brother-in-law. Later, Daryl clocks out with his key again, but notices a sound coming from Long's offices. He moves in to investigate and finds the office disheveled, Something is broken on the floor, clanging repeatedly, until Daryl unplugs it, and then he finds the strangled corpse of Mr. Long, wrapped in a phone cord. We cut to Daryl getting on his motorcycle and pulling a fast U-turn to get away from the building outside, and one of the men from Long's office follows the motorcycle down the street. This confused me. Yeah, me too. Oh, like, I still don't completely understand it. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, it didn't confuse me at the time, but looking back at it, it's like, well, wait, why are they following him? That doesn't make any sense. Are they following him? Did yeah. they just leave at the same time? Why uh, didn't he just call the police just now? Right. I yeah. don't understand. And I, and and the the cut is so strange because he gets on his motorcycle and leaves. And I thought, oh, he's he's not going to call the cops. But then the cut to him being interviewed by the police. Yeah. So it's, like, it, it's irrelevant that you didn't show him calling the police. Yeah. But I'm but I'm assuming like see this is like my notes here are like. The next morning he's being questioned. He's like, oh, did he not tell them or did he tell them? Is he lying? I can't, I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my assumption was that his first thought would be that Aldo did this. Right. So he might not say anything to the police, assuming that he's going to get his future brother-in-law in trouble. But since he didn't see Aldo do it and they're going to find the body tomorrow morning anyway, at the latest, how, what help is it to Aldo to not call the police right now? Wouldn't it actually be better if you called the police right now and said, I just found this body so that they were there on scene right away? Yeah. The next morning, we see people dusting the office for prints. Lieutenant Black, played by Morgan Freeman, is interrogating Daryl. He asks Daryl if he knows Aldo. Daryl says that they met in Nam as Marines and they've been friends ever since. Another cop, Lieutenant Jacobs, asks if they knew Mr. Long when they were in Vietnam. No, but I did know of him. Everybody did. It sounds like Mr. Long was a regular Milo Minderbinder during the war, lying and selling things to both sides and making an enormous profit from everybody. They ask why Aldo was fired and he doesn't answer, and when they ask if he ever came back to the building after getting fired, he lies. Not that I know of. They release Daryl so he can get some sleep before coming back to work the night shift tonight. And they bring Aldo in for questioning. Yeah, I think they were trying to trying to catch him in a lie just so they could surprise him with like, oh, we already got Aldo. Yeah. Uh, but it looks like keeping it keeping quiet uh, worked out. Yeah. Standing in the lobby, Daryl notices Tony Sokolov standing outside the building. He walks right up to her and introduces himself and then lies that the police told him to talk to her. He informs her that he's the night janitor here, and she agrees to meet with him for an interview on the north side of the building. Once they get the camera up and running, Daryl introduces himself, but instead of saying anything about the murder that transpired, he's just hitting on Tony the whole time. He lets her know how skilled he is in all manners except dance. Department, I can do most things except dance. I cannot dance. 
because of what happened to me at the prom. Thanks my for that rather lengthy introduction. He lies that he knows nothing about the murder and then admits to having a crush on her for years. She tells her crew to cut, but she seems mildly amused by his antics. He keeps changing his story about whether or not he knows anything, but she trusts him every time he says he does. Mm-hmm. So like yeah. he admits that he doesn't. She's like, okay, never mind then. We'll shut down. And he's like, well, but I do. And she's like, oh, do you seriously? And puts the microphone back to his face, starts all the cameras back up. Like, let's hear what he has to say. And he just keeps screwing with her. Which doesn't feel very realistic to me. I feel like the first time you're like, oh, this was a tactic. To I don't know. If she's super desperate for a lead, then she might just believe anytime anyone tells her they have something. Well, and, and it, it seems to me, given what we know about her so far from her the only time that we've seen her on the news is that she was giving a critical review of a of a Broadway play, and she was filling in for somebody else. Oh, too. was she? Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I I thought it it seems to me that we should have established in the first time we see her that she is a field reporter. Yeah. Because it seemed unusual for her to be here. I was like, why is she here? Yeah, she's just working her way up. Before he leaves, he makes it abundantly clear that he's holding whatever information he has hostage in exchange for a date. Another of Long's employees watches this whole interaction. Aldo meets up with Daryl across the street, and right away he denies his involvement. He says he was hanging out with Linda last night. Linda is his sister and Daryl's fiance. Before they part ways, though, Aldo asks if he can borrow 50 bucks for a poker game because he's feeling especially lucky, and Daryl gives him the money. From an upstairs window in the building, we watch as Long's two employees see the money change hands. Back at the news station, Tony replays the footage of her interview with Daryl, and her producer agrees that he knows more than he's telling. He's hiding something, and I know just the girl who gets out of him. We cut back to the building that night where Daryl is buffing the floors. As he's leaving the office, he comes across Tony trying to hail a cab and offers her a ride on his motorcycle. He offers to buff her floors if she needs it when they get to her building. No. I'm real good. A pro. Unclear exactly if he's just joking around or if he's this awkward with people so far. This was a bad move on her part, having her him take her home. Yeah. Like, okay, I get it. You want the story, but you don't have him take it take him to a place where you actually live. Right. That's, that makes sense. That's that's a bad idea. But now he starts talking in innuendos. First, I strip the old wax. Then I lay down an even smooth coat. And I buff it and buff it. Gently. Slowly. Till it beams. And he's back to hitting on her again. (laughs) I mean, it seems like it's working. Yeah. She's into it. (laughs) Or she's pretending to be into it. (laughs) She's, She's not sure how to interpret this and awkwardly hands him his helmet back. He asks if she's ever free. Sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking, like this, this, all his like his crazy floor innuendo, like about buffing, like because he's assuming like a nice smooth surface. <laughs> How are you with shag carpet? <laughs> Richard, inappropriate. He asks if she's ever free, and she says that she's only free Thursdays but she spends that time horseback riding, so no. We get another quick insert of one of Long's men watching him drop her off from down the street. He opens a notepad to scribble something down. We cut to the Deaver household, where Daryl and his parents are sharing a table with the Mercer siblings, Aldo and Linda. Aldo is telling Mr. Deaver about their plans to open a sporting goods store. You and Daryl, you're going to open up a sporting goods store? (laughs) What kind of bullshit is that? You guys can open a Christmas present. Dad keeps saying the word bullshit, and it's starting to piss Mom off. Linda tells Mr. Deaver that he doesn't understand what they're talking about and blames male menopause, and Mr. Deaver calls it bullshit. Mom slams her plate down on the table and gets up to leave when Dad won't stop cursing. Later that night, Daryl and Linda are in bed together, and she's complaining about her worsening forgetfulness. She's anxious because she lied to the police on Aldo's behalf. It turns out she wasn't with him the night of the murder, and she doesn't know where he was. Daryl tries to convince her that Aldo is incapable of murder and that he couldn't even do it in Vietnam. Linda says that Aldo suddenly has a bunch of money and that he says he won it playing poker with Harry, but he didn't go to Harry's, according to Harry. Earlier, we did hear the cops talking to the press about how some money was stolen when Mr. Long was killed. Mm -hmm. So I think we're supposed to assume that he took this money after he killed him. We cut to Daryl giving Aldo a ride on the back of his motorcycle carrying a television. 
Lieutenants Black and Jacobs are tailing them. You know, you always think the guy in the glasses did it. You always think the weird ones killed it. Black tells Jacobs that according to his war record, Aldo was court-martialed for cowardice. Jacob is confused why that would make Aldo a likely suspect. Why does a weird coward make a good suspect? A hero's got nothing to prove. Deba was a decorated hero. Jacob says whoever killed Long is a hero to him because he lost a son in Vietnam, his good son. Still got Bernie. Bernie. Yeah, Bernie is Bernie. We get a tiny hint at some background for Lieutenant Black when he says, at least you got one. Apparently he and his wife are having trouble conceiving, but this is half of all the dialogue we'll get about it. On Thursday, Tony is just starting her horseback riding when Daryl shows up on his motorcycle. Can you guys recall the last movie we had where a guy tried to scare a horse his girlfriend was riding? No. Charlie Chan and the Curse of the Dragon oh, Queen. Yeah. It throws her off on the ground and they roll around for a while in the grass. Stupid. They move side by side for a while. Tony tries to outpace him on the horse, and then they do figure eights around a pair of trash cans. Now it's a game where they're trying to prove who is more capable on their vehicle slash animal. So Tony stops Technology and Technology rides... versus horse? Yeah. <laughs> it's like a battle between motors and horses. Tony stops and rides the horse sideways. You got me there, lady. I can't do that. He applauds the move. The two of them have a picnic in the park while her horse eats out of a basket on the back of Daryl's motorcycle. I'm guessing he brought food specifically for the horse, or it's just like eating all of his extra clothes or some shit. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like spare, spare motorcycle parts. Yeah, there's a wrench. You can eat a wrench, you can eat a ball. What? It's a road flare. Don't chew it too hard. <laughs> yeah. Is your horse allergic to road flares? He asks if this is a date, and she says that dancing is required for a date before remembering that he doesn't dance. He tells her the full story of the school dancing that he hinted at earlier. He asked his crush to the dance. We start. In about 10 seconds, she stops. Why did you ask me to dance if you don't know how? <laughs> well, I just died. Remember how we used to just die? He left the dance for a while, and when he came back, it was over, so his shoes were locked inside, and he walked home in the rain in socks. Daryl stands and walks to the horse. Tony warns him that it bites, but he has a way with animals and gently lowers it to the grass. As he lays the horse down, he calls it Ralph, which is his dog's name, <laughs> so maybe he just uses it on all animals. All animals are Ralph. <laughs> or they just have that much in common. Are you sure he calls him Ralph, or he's like, or is this like a trick he uses with Ralph? And I think he says like, "There you go, Ralph," or something like that when he puts the horse down. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he's referring to the dog, like just like Ralph, or something. Maybe he trained so much with both of these animals that he mixed up their names. Everyone's Ralph. That's why you should always have your mistress and your wife have the same name. You can't screw up. Preferably Ralph. (laughs) Animals and kids adore me. I just leave as the rest of the world. Tony tries again to get information from Daryl about the murder, but he hesitates telling her the truth, fearing that she will disappear once she has what she wants. He thinks he deserves her affection simply because he finds her attractive. She gives him her number in case he wants to tell her anything worthwhile, and here's where the movie takes a huge misstep for me. It's already been a bit confusing, but this is where I officially lost the thread. And I had to back it up multiple times because I was so thrown by it. We cut to Long's offices where they're listening to the conversation that we just heard between Tony and Daryl. Where did this tape come from that they're listening to? I guess they were recording it with with long-range microphones. If they were, we should have gotten at least an insert of one of them holding a long-range microphone or being there that day. Or they bugged her horse. (laughs) Well, honestly, it just comes across as she's working with them. Or he is. Mm-hmm. And so from that scene forward, I was very confused about everyone's motivations because I was like, they have a recording that was clearly up close between the two of these characters. So I thought at first that she was in on it, on this whole scheme. Yeah. Do we not get any inserts of one of their guys They never explain who's recording this. Interesting. I never questioned it. I'm questioning it now, but but it's too late because I already know what happens. I'm not 100% sure what happens. Um, well, well, I'm I'm certainly not sure what Long's men think are ha- is happening. Yeah. 
But just based on the fact that he found the body and he seems surprised by it, I think the logical conclusion of this scene is that Tony is working with the men in Long's office mm-hmm. and recorded this conversation and gave the tape to them. But at this point in the movie, too, I'm assuming that Long's men are involved in the murder because right. they follow William Hurt away from the crime scene. Right. If they already knew the guy was dead, why are they following William Yeah, Hurt? he was waiting outside in the car for someone to come out to chase. Yeah. Daryl comes by the office to collect trash, and Long's surviving underling watches him from the doorway. One of them is credited as his son, um, I, but I don't know which one's supposed to be his son and which one is just supposed to be an employee. Later, we see Daryl walking home with groceries past a payphone, and he decides to call Tony's number. He leaves a message on her machine, but Joseph hears the message first. All Daryl says is that he was there when it happened, which she doesn't realize yet is basically the most testimony he could give because he doesn't have any other factual information. Well, but that's bad news for Joseph to hear. Right. There's not much more for him to reveal than that he found the body, but he has as much idea who the killer is as she already does because Aldo is already a major suspect in the crime. That's why they're following both of them around everywhere. When Tony gets home, Joseph pokes fun at her sudden career shift toward murder investigation. We see Tony later in an editing bay directing a segment about a man who just survived a knife attack, and I assume this is either the actual guy who was attacked during the production or at least something inspired by that whole situation. Tony calls Daryl from the bay to ask about meeting him tonight. When she steps out of her taxi at their arranged meeting place, she is suddenly surrounded by Long's employees who urge her into another car with a gun in her back. So I guess she isn't working with them? Right. So does that mean Daryl is? Because if he's not, then they really should have had some insert of somebody recording the conversation. Mm -hmm. As they try to drive her away, she sees Daryl arriving on his motorcycle and dives out of their car because the doors weren't locked. One of the men attacks her on the street while the driver attempts to crash into Daryl's bike until Daryl picks up his bike chain and smashes the first guy to the ground. Tony hops on his bike and Daryl rides away with her. But if I were her, I would at least strongly suspect that Daryl was in on it or was the actual killer and set this up to look like a hero. Because it it plays way too convenient that it's like, oh, meet me at this place. Oh, bad guys attacked you, but I saved you. Come with me. Yeah, I, I don't know if I felt that way. But I was certainly, um, I certainly still don't know at this point what Long's men are after because. She ha- clearly doesn't know anything. They right. have a recording that proves that she doesn't know yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. Like they know that she doesn't know anything. So why are they after her if they're trying to get to him? Yeah. And they have so many opportunities to get him. That they don't take. Yeah. Because they were at his office. He was right outside their office door. Yeah. There are three of them. They walk out. They grab him. They take him inside. Yeah. That's it. End of story. But here the car chases them down the street on the motorcycle until Daryl throws his bike chain across the windshield, shattering it, and then they total their car into a planter. Daryl arrives back at his apartment with Tony, and they find Aldo waiting outside, but he doesn't make himself known. He just waits outside the apartment all night. Yeah, which I don't know what he what he's doing. Yeah. In the apartment, Ralph the dog snaps at them again and freaks Tony out some more. Daryl gets a wet cloth to clean cuts on Tony's legs and gets creepy again, but she's totally into it. Why'd you do that? I know. I want to. She asks what exactly he wants from her, and he tells her how singularly obsessed he's been with her for years. Why isn't she leaving? He worries aloud that he's imagining having her here and offers to make coffee. Aldo kicks around outside waiting for something when suddenly Joseph steps forward to light a cigarette for him. But it almost looks like they could be passing strangers in the night. Like, yeah, he just saw him and was like, oh, you need a light? Or maybe they're in cahoots. I don't know. It's not made clear. It's not made clear. When Daryl returns to the living room with the coffee, she's gone, but he quickly finds her in the bathroom, and we cut to them making out in bed. He asks what her life is like outside her job. She says she basically spends it jealous of the people that she's reporting on. In the morning, Lieutenants Jacob and Black arrive outside Daryl's apartment, and they watch Aldo enter. He's here to pitch another get-rich-quick scheme to Daryl. Aldo says that the people that he made this deal with only need $50,000 down payment, and he has the cash because he won big recently gambling. Daryl tries to remind Aldo how much trouble he's in, but Aldo doesn't want to hear it. Daryl confesses to Aldo that he's not interested in marrying his sister Linda. 
Aldo asks if he's seeing this reporter and if he's under any illusion that this reporter would actually be interested in a janitor and not in whatever story he's promising her. Aldo feels betrayed by Daryl backing out of their plans for the future and punches him hard in the face before trying to strangle him on the kitchen floor. Daryl fights back and asks Aldo repeatedly if he actually killed Long, but Aldo never answers and leaves. Aldo steals Daryl's bike outside and the cops follow him away from the apartment. Lieutenant Jacobs jokes that as a child, Aldo must have wanted to be a suspect when he grew up. Unfortunately, they're not able to keep up with him. Don't tell anyone, but we're out of gas. What? Daryl goes to visit Linda where she works as a seamstress. She has a sort of mini breakdown and admits to Daryl that she can't marry him and that she was only going along with Aldo's plans. Daryl tells her not to worry that he never loved her either. It's all right. I don't love you either. No, no, come on. You're just saying that to make me feel better. No. Back in the editing bay, Tony watches the tape of Daryl flirting with her outside the murder scene, and then she pulls the tape out and then rips the ribbon out of the cassette. Mm-hmm. Tony goes to visit her parents at their home, and her mom accuses her of cheating on Joseph with the janitor. She claims that she's only following the janitor for the story. And then she tells them about her plans to marry Joseph, but expresses her disappointment that they had her followed. We did know. Then how did you know where I was? Back at work, Daryl is filling the trash compactor and has to get down inside of it to collect some glass bottles. Yeah, I, I was just like, dude, no. Just leave them in there. Do you care that much about the planet that you're willing to come out in a Ernest P. Worrell cube of trash? <laughs> Aldo shows up while he's inside and turns the thing on with Daryl in the box. Aldo stops the machine before it kills Daryl, and then the two of them duke it out. Aldo claims it was an accident, that he just did it as a reflex. And Aldo complains to Daryl that none of his get-rich-quick schemes are working out. He just wanted his sister and his best friend to get married so that he would have a family. Aldo finally confesses that he didn't kill Long. He just really wanted his friend to think that he did. Yeah, like, I don't know why he didn't say anything sooner. No, yet. and it does. they don't bother to make any sense of it either because he just says, like, why did you want that? And he's like, I don't know. And then he says, well, I didn't want you to think I was a chicken. And it's like, did you want me to think you were an idiot murderer? Yeah, a murderer. Is that better? I appreciate you thinking I did. But I didn't. I couldn't. All the money he's been throwing around is borrowed, not one, and it wasn't a payment for a murder or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But now he owes money all over town. Daryl tells Aldo, which, oh, sorry, which would be interesting if he had mentioned that he had borrowed money from some like, uh, like Asian gang, and that would explain what these other guys are after. Yep. Like, but no. like no, no, it's just, it's just again, once again, Long's men are involved for no apparent reason. Right. At this point, and if they don't know who did this, their number one suspect should be Aldo. Yes. And he's, that's the only person they're not following around. They're trying to kidnap everybody else in the story. Daryl tells Aldo to give the loan sharks their money back, and Aldo says that he already bought a storefront with it. He commands Aldo to stay here in the building's crawl space while he tries to sort things out. We cut outside to Black and Jacobs in their car, and Lieutenant Black says that he and his wife have decided they're moving forward with adoption, and that he's worried he won't accept the child as his own. That's the end of that subplot. <laughs> we wrap that up. They're watching Daryl and Tony embrace on the sidewalk. Daryl's giving Tony a big hug, and she's a bit standoffish. This looks like one of those there's another guy scenes. It is. There is. He invites her back to his apartment for goodbye sex. As they head upstairs, we get a glimpse of one of the people from Long's office watching them from another car down the street. In the apartment, Daryl preps coffee, and Tony lays across the couch until she notices Ralph the dog growling at her. The dog gets very vicious, and she screams for Daryl, who reminds her that this is how Ralph plays. After another play fight, it becomes clear that Ralph is not playing, and Daryl gets a big bite in the hand during their fight. They struggle for a leash to tie him up, but eventually the dog succumbs to its sickness and collapses dead in Daryl's arms. Daryl goes to collect a coat from the closet where Ralph sleeps, and a big hunk of meat falls out of the coat, and it's been sprinkled with some kind of drug. And I don't get why it fell out of the coat. Yeah. Also, like, why did you go and pick up a coat off of the floor of the... Well, I think he was going to uh, wrap wrap the dog to carry also, it out. Also, wouldn't the dog for sure have eaten all of the meat that was put I, there? I would think so. And it, again, it doesn't make any sense for it to fall out of a coat. Why would... It, it should have just been on the floor. Like, you could have the closet door closed, and like maybe the dog couldn't get to it because yeah. it was in the closet now. But 
it makes no sense for it just to fall like someone is standing there dropping it. Yeah, but it does. It just falls on the ground and he picks it up and he looks at it and he realizes someone drugged his dog and that it that it ate this Coke burger. But to what end? Because it, they wanted it to attack him. Is that is that what it was? That's what I, he theorizes here. Okay, because I, I, was, I wasn't sure what the purpose of... I thought maybe that someone was trying to get into the apartment and they thought, you know, it's like, okay, we'll drug the dog first and then we'll I'm go I'm going to drug this dog with Coke. Yeah. Not a like, sedative. I'm going to give it crazy uppers. No, I think, I think their plan was for this dog to kill him, but they would have had to drug this dog like immediately before he came in, I would think. Because otherwise the dog, the dog's not going to like just hang out on drugs for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Daryl notices someone trying to turn the lock and enter the apartment, and he flips all the lights off inside. The man enters, and very quickly Daryl and the figure are fighting each other. The intruder throws Daryl through a window behind a couch, and I thought for a second he was just going to come falling out of the side of the building. But I guess this is a window in a wall, like an internal wall of the apartment that leads to a hallway. They continue to fight, and the intruder has the upper hand choking Daryl against the floor in the living room until they bump the old VHS recording system and a tape of Tony's broadcasts begins playing in fast forward. Tony peeks around the corner from the apartment kitchen and realizes that it's Joseph attempting to murder Daryl here and starts screaming uncontrollably. Like she's literally like puts her hands over her mouth to shut herself up and can't stop screaming. The man leaves the apartment and Tony asks if he saw the man's face. Daryl tells Tony that whoever it was, it was the person who killed Long, but he didn't see who killed Long. No. So he doesn't know that. He's speculating. He's just deducing that. Tony recommends against phoning the police because she's trying to protect Joseph already. We cut right to Tony's parents sitting down with Joseph. Joseph's motive is spelled out very blatantly here, that they were funneling money through Long to bribe officials in other countries to release Jewish hostages, and he kept asking for more money to do it until they had no choice but to kill him to keep their process secret. Okay, so now at this point, Joseph or his associate have killed Long. Yes. So again, it makes no sense for Long's men to be searching for the killer outside waiting for the killer to leave the building when when they right. must know that the body is up there. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. Tony's parents seem aware that Joseph murdered Long, but they completely support it because they think he was an evil guy. He had his revenge. He made a murderer out of me. What an asshole thing to say. Yeah. This this <laughs> person I killed made a murderer out of me. What a jerk. He tells them that he has to get in touch with his contact in Russia within 48 hours or six Jewish prisoners will be killed. He informs them that in order for this plan to work, he'll have to kill Daryl Deaver, and they seem upset about it because they know him to be an innocent witness to a crime whereas Long was corrupt and greedy and Asian. They probably didn't care because he was Asian. (laughs) It's like, wait, you're going to kill a white guy for our cause? That's not fair. Joseph is also upset about it because now somebody else is going to make a murderer of him. Tony's parents refuse permission to murder Daryl. The mistress, who looks creepily like Sigourney Weaver, steps toward them as if to interrupt the conversation but doesn't say anything. She never says anything the whole movie, right? Right. She might be mute. I don't know. Tony's dad assures Joseph that even the prisoners wouldn't want an innocent person to die for their sake. And those six would surely not want an innocent man's blood stamped on their passports. They offer to pay Daryl not to speak, but they quickly realize that that's not a legitimate option. Why? Because it's like a blackmail situation where you just have to keep paying the person over and over again. But I don't think Daryl would do that. But I don't think they know Daryl. That's true. The scene ends with Tony's parents begging Joseph to let them just talk to Daryl, and we cut to Daryl's apartment where a phone is ringing. Oh, never mind. It's like Dogs of War all over again. It's not a phone ringing. It's the buzzer. Yeah, I had the same thing. (laughs) He gets a call. Oh, wait. No, it's the doorbell? (laughs) Daryl. I mean, apartment buildings sometimes connect things to True. Yeah, that's true. Daryl walks out to the front doors of his building to find his father sitting on the ground under the buttons. His wheelchair is back at the sidewalk where he left it to come ring this buzzer. Apparently, his dad and mom had a big fight, and so he's here to get away from her, basically, and to see his son. Tony's parents arrive at her apartment and ask how much she knows about everything that went down. They share with Tony the plan to speak with Daryl and beg for his silence. Daryl's father shares with him his marriage problems, and Tony calls while they're talking. 
she invites Daryl to her apartment to meet her parents. Tony's dad follows up with a call to Joseph to let him know that everything will be okay, but really to tip him off that the first phone call has been made. Mm-hmm. Which I'm surprised that Tony didn't see through right away. Like, wait, yeah. what are you going to do? You're going to call him to say everything's going to be okay? Why does that have to happen now? Why couldn't you have told him everything's going to be okay the last time you talked to him? I don't know if that was to tip Joseph off. It was. I, was for it? sure, yeah. Because I, I felt like the, the parents' plan was still to talk to Deaver. No, they're pretending that's still their plan. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't pick up on that at all either. But I think i didn't pick up on a lot of things i don't think there's a lot of there's a lot of interwoven webs i don't think there's any reason to call joseph right here right now other than to say hey something has happened so you're clear to make your phone call Mm. now and so the phone rings back at daryl's place and this time it's joseph pretending to be tony's father and saying hey you know what uh we're actually going to meet you at a different address so can you write this down real quick and we see daryl and he's buying some flowers at a corner store on his way to the new address. Outside, children are lighting off firecrackers because it's the 4th of July. And he buys one off of a kid. I thought he bought one. I guess yeah. he bought a couple. Is it the 4th of July? Yeah, that's what his dad said. <laughs> what? Another random movie said yeah, on the 4th of July. Yeah, I was like, what is this? Um, I get really frustrated when holidays are included in movie <laughs> Just plots. Just randomly. Um, you never got over Wonder Woman. Huh? Yeah, still not over Wonder Woman. Uh, What's going on over there? Oh, that's right. It's the 4th of July. I forgot. (laughs) What? (laughs) Also, he knows that she's rich. Right. And so she knows that her her parents are rich. Why would they want to meet in the middle of this nowhere place? Right. Well, I don't think he he knows the address until he gets there. I mean, he might have some idea. But the second you see that, you don't don't wander around. You leave. Yeah, maybe. He's a military guy. He should know that this doesn't feel right. Yeah, he makes a few mistakes anyway. When he gets to the address on his motorcycle, he sees the doppelganger getting out of a car across the street. And then he notices Joseph following him on the sidewalk. And he immediately lights up one of the fireworks as a distraction. And then he climbs a fire escape to enter the third floor of the nearest building. Inside the building are a bunch of old-fashioned carriages and horses in stables. Joseph locks the gate to the stable area once he gets inside to trap them both on the same floor of the building. Although this doesn't really pay off. Like, we don't see the moment. Like, how did Daryl get back out of that gate that was locked? Mm. We cut outside Daryl's apartment where Tony is arriving by cab. I don't know why she came here when she was just waiting at her place for him, but she bursts in and finds Daryl's dad in the apartment. And she says, where's Daryl? And he points to the address on the notepad that Joseph gave him. Tony calls the police immediately because she's like, okay, my parents working with Joseph yeah. sent this guy to get murdered somewhere and I have to prevent it. Back in the stables, Daryl is getting familiar with a horse and hiding behind it in a stall. We cut <laughs> to- He's going to make it go to sleep and just lay on top of me. They won't search underneath a sleeping horse. <laughs> or lay just, it on top of the bad guy. No, he just does the, you know, like thing that Han Solo does and just crawls inside the horse after he's <laughs> oh I thought that smelled bad on the yeah. outside. And he just puppeteers it like walking around with his arms. It <laughs> just makes a costume out yeah. of the horse. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, crap, I need a back half. <laughs> <laughs> it's just dragging the back half of the horse. <laughs> <laughs> so his legs are just in the front legs. See, I was thinking of him walking on all fours underneath it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a really short horse <laughs> yeah that wouldn't really work unless he has super long arms <laughs> unless his arms are only going down to like the knee yeah, on like, the inside the, the, the legs are just like accordion it's like he's <laughs> using the bottom half of the horse legs as stilts <laughs> <laughs> anyway none of that happens <laughs> he comes up behind Christopher Plummer and he just lays him down on the ground and he says good night Ralph <laughs> That's not true either. We cut to Black and Jacobs with Aldo in their back seat complaining about having to chase him all over the city. I'm sad we didn't get to see any of that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they get a call about the address where Daryl was sent, and then we see Daryl sneaking down a ramp well, with a hold horse. Hold on. They get the call to go, and Aldo's super excited. Yeah. He's like, he's oh, like, sweet. Or oh, we're going on a chase? He's like, yeah. He's like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> he's just been arrested, potentially. Yeah. Maybe this is Aldo's calling. But I... He's already made it clear to them that he's not the killer somehow because they seem to know that already in the car. 
where he says, well, you know, I didn't do it or something like that. And then I say, yeah, but that's not the point. The point is that you wasted our time driving all over town or whatever. But it's kind of funny because when Jacobs earlier said, oh, I guess when he was a kid, he wanted to be a suspect in a murder case. And it's like, it's not even when he was a kid, like right now, he still, for some reason, wants to be a suspect in this murder case. We see Daryl sneaking down a ramp with a horse, but the doppelganger is at the bottom of the ramp and she's shooting up at them and he's hiding behind horses as best he can. He lights another firework to freak them all out, and then he climbs onto one to ride it down the ramp. Downstairs, in a large open area, the horses are all swirling in a loop as this lady continues firing at him. Yeah, and and hitting the horses. Yeah. Some of the horses are running out of the building, out into the street, and suddenly Joseph is also shooting at them, and he hits Daryl in the shoulder and knocks him off the horse. Joseph approaches him, and they wrestle in the dirt toward the loose gun, but the horses are kicking it around and burying it in dirt until the police arrive. The doppelganger runs off to avoid arrest, and Joseph walks outside to face the cops. When he sees Tony outside, he's so embarrassed at his behavior that he reaches into his coat to draw fire from the police. Suicide by cop. Yeah, so he's shot to death. Tony seems convinced that Daryl's already dead, so she's, like, bawling about it. Well, and then she notices him inside and cheers up and goes to kiss him. Yeah, and, and Long's men are watching, and they seem satisfied by Joseph's death. Yeah. And they just kind of, like, like approvingly nod, and that's it. Like, it's like, so did they know? Were they trying to get to Joseph? Did, did they suspect that Deaver was somehow involved? I'm assuming that they thought that she, as a reporter who lives with Joseph, had more information. But mm. if she did... Wouldn't she be reporting on it because she's a reporter? Hmm. Or did they think she was going around getting information to bury it to protect him? Well, see, and, and a part of me also thought that, you know, they killed Long because he was getting too greedy. And this is, oh, well, maybe Long's son said, yeah, kill my dad. I'll take over the business. That's what I thought. And I won't ask for so much money. Yeah. But we, it's all, no, we get nothing. Yeah. There's, there's no explanation for what joseph's plan was to replace this business setting that they had like why were you giving any money to long if you could contact russia directly this whole time just so that he would have something to blackmail you with for more money Mm -hmm. i think it was that layer of like added protection so that it wasn't linked directly back to him i guess yeah he's laundering it um during it laundering it (laughs) so the movie ends with them embracing in this giant horse patch i don't know i am so bothered by this building by the way because it's in like the middle of a residential neighborhood in whatever city this is are we in new york or something and it's like a multi-level building with horses on it with a ramp and then the bottom level is like a corral i think it's a real place and i think it might be where they keep the horses that they do the central park tours in yeah either way this building feels very impractical i agree and the (laughs) fact that so many horses get to just run down the street out of the building is a little terrifying concrete ramps onto the sidewalk like i feel like this is just so bad for the horses yeah Yeah, i I mean and and i mean i'm sure places like this must exist in the city because we're also going to stable the animals but um new york city also has a large mounted police force so true i'm sure that there are more than one of these buildings but on the the first room that he gets into there's just carriages all over the place like those old-fashioned carriages horse hotel yeah Mm -hmm. but i I mean like i get nervous (laughs) about my parents having a two-story building i don't want (laughs) horses in a three-story building that's terrifying um and so we end with them embracing here and tony has to settle for her second choice um sad for her the man of her dreams is dead our director was peter yates he directed bullet the hot rock mother jugs and speed breaking away and later crawl yeah i was like crawl my dad worked on mother jugs and speed too. oh really yeah he was a he was um a technical advisor because it's about uh ambulance drivers okay, yeah, when they switched over from private to um to making it a municipality thing mm. yeah uh, as soon as i saw peter yates it's like oh man i only know one other peter yates movie <laughs> have you, you haven't seen the hot rock either I, I oh haven't. it's so good i really like the hot rock and i really like mother drugs and speed actually i haven't seen breaking away which i need to wait breaking away is that the bicycle yeah and it has dennis christopher and i think he was and daniel stern i think is in it too was he nominated for an oscar or did he win an oscar for breaking away oh my goodness just uh dennis quaid daniel stern jackie early haley yeah paul dooley and it's basically the whole creative team from this movie um including writer steve tesich as i said before this is tesich's second collaboration with yates 
after um after breaking away but they came back together in 85 to do a movie called Eleni. Uh he also wrote Four Friends which we'll cover later this season and The World According to Garp in 1982 which I think was an adaptation of a book but I could be mistaken there. Music was from Stanley Silverman. He was the composer for Simon last year. Cinematographer Matthew F. Leonetti was the DP for Breaking Away and Raised the Titanic before this. He later lensed Poltergeist, Fast Times in Ridgemont High, Ice Pirates, Weird Science, Commando, Jumpin' Jack Flash, Angels in the Outfield, Star Trek First Contact, and Insurrection, Mortal Kombat 2, Rush Hour 2, Species 2, Fast <laughs> and the Furious 2, wow. Camp Nowhere 2, and Dumb and Dumber 2. There's no Camp Nowhere 2. It's called Accepted, but it's basically Camp Nowhere 2. <laughs> editor Cynthia Scheider, she was the assistant editor on the original The Taking of Pelham 123 and the first Happy Hooker film. She also edited Breaking Away and Batteries Not Included, and she was the wife at the time of actor Roy Scheider. Hmm. William Hurt played Daryl Deaver. This was his second film after Altered States last year. He's back for Body Heat this year and later Big Chill, Broadcast News, Lost in Space. He's also the current General Thunderbolt Ross for the MCU. I feel like Body Heat was like that the big right. one yeah, that I think he's, so. he's known for. Although I'm pretty sure that they a lot was expected from this film. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it really pulled off what it was trying to do. Uh, Sigourney Weaver was Tony Sokolow or Sokolov. Uh, she was in Annie Hall and Alien before this. Later, she'll be in Ghostbusters, Aliens, Gorillas in the Mist, Galaxy Quest. Recently, she's provided voices for Wally and Finding Dory. And she was the director of the facility in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, I like that. that was a great, fun surprise. She is credited in at least 12 more Avatar films that may or may not ever happen. <laughs> uh, and this was her first of three appearances alongside William Hurt before The Village and Vantage Point. Christopher Plummer played Joseph. He was Captain Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, which he hated. He was Raymond Swan in Inside Daisy Clover. We had him in Somewhere in Time last year. He's a voice in American Tale and Rockadoodle for Don Bluth. I think he's a Klingon in Star Trek VI, right? Yes. You think that he's a Klingon? Yes. I I saw that he was in a Star Trek movie, and I'm assuming it was a Klingon. Yeah, he is a Klingon. Uh, He's also in 12 Monkeys. He's a voice in Up. He's the, the evil uh guy that goes to catch the bird mm-hmm. yeah and uh he was just recently harlan thromby and knives out and then he passed away on like thursday of last week big bummer yeah because he was great um james woods was aldo uh he was in black marble which i'll be covering for a belated minisode this year for 1980 he's front and center in videodrome and salvador and back later in casino nixon He's Hades and Hercules. He's in Contact. He's also the voice of Lex Luthor, opposite our friend Jason Lewis as Superman on Justice League Action. Kenneth McMillan played Mr. Deaver, the father. The father. (laughs) We covered his work in four titles last year, Little Miss Marker, Hide in Plain Sight, Carney, and Borderline. We'll see him four more times this season. Nice. He's a busy guy. He's back for True Confessions, Ragtime, and Whose Life Is It Anyway? Oh, and Heartbeeps oh no yeah <laughs> heart beeps back later in amadeus dune and armed and dangerous oh yeah armed and dangerous that's a good one pamela reed was linda mercer we saw her last year as prostitute bell star in the long riders and melvin dumar's second wife bonnie in melvin and howard she'll be back in the right stuff clan of the cave bear and kindergarten cop stephen hill was lieutenant jacobs he was joe clayberg's father jacob in it's my turn last year the one who uh marries michael douglas's mother right and then uh has to go to sleep in the middle of his wedding day because he doesn't want his heart to explode morgan freeman played lieutenant black we saw him last year in solitary confinement in brew baker and he'll be back for tons of stuff you know morgan freeman he's in stuff alice drummond was mrs deaver she doesn't get a lot to do here <laughs> but uh, she's mrs finkel in ace ventura she's clara in tu wong fu but she's best known as the librarian mm-hmm. in ghostbusters she had an uncle who thought he was saint jerome i'd call that a big yes chow lee chi played mr long he's not in this very much but uh <laughs> i recognized him uh he's uncle chu in big trouble in little china he was jackie chan's dad in the big brawl last year and he plays himself on Falcon Crest in 213 episodes. 
the character's name is the actor's name. So oh. <laughs> I don't know if they were just like, eh, that's They're easier than making something up. Uh, Keon Young played Mr. Long's son. Uh, he was the flirtatious businessman in the bar in Private Benjamin last year. He has mostly TV work, including the voice of Storm Shadow on G.I. Joe, a couple MacGyvers, and most famously as Mr. Wu on Deadwood. Yeah, I recognized him right away. Yeah. Um, I think that this movie had a lot uh, going for it in terms of the, the screenwriter and the director behind it. Mm-hmm. And I think it flubbed it miraculously. I think combining those two scripts was a terrible idea. I don't understand what's going on most of the time. And it just comes across as a janitor fantasy of like, I'm going to meet an attractive rich lady and solve a murder and just do everything right the whole time. And I feel like part of the problem is trying to give the murder some gravitas, like where in the sense that like we suspect Aldo, that Aldo killed this guy. Right. And and in all this time, we're trying to clear Aldo, and well, in the meantime, like he's flirting with this reporter. But then you add this whole subplot of no, they were all involved in this 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 thing to get Jewish prisoners out of other countries. It's like, wait, whoa, this is like some huge, large. That's a, its own movie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the the getting the Jewish prisoners out of other countries. That's its own movie, not this movie. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think it was that horrible, but I think you got to turn your brain off when you watch it, which I think is what I did because I was like, yeah, it's all right. (laughs) Well, my problem is mainly that Aldo, as the character, is pointless to the story. I mean, he's supposed to be a misdirect, but... Right. That's the only purpose of him is is as a red herring. Yeah. Which is like the janitor from Prom Night, you know, where it's just like, that guy's creepy. Anyway, here's the rest of the movie. The biggest red herring in this movie to me was Long's men because I never understood their motivation. Yeah. And then we have this the sister character where it's like, hey, I was going to marry this girl. No, I'm not going to marry her. That's the end of that story. Neither one of them wanted to get married. Neither one of them did get married. Like, there was no reason to include a sister character. There was no reason to include Aldo. It could have very easily been like, who killed this person? Someone that you know, like, that works in Long's office mm-hmm. or someone from outside. And it turns out that it's the boyfriend of the reporter. Yeah. But or, that's also or the, an, or the assassin. Yeah. But that's an uncomfortable coincidence, too, that the girl reporting on the murder happens to live with the guy who committed it just <laughs> yeah. by yeah. coincidence. Yeah, that is a little odd. I am bothered by the fact that it's called eyewitness when nobody actually saw it happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess Joseph was Yeah, I eyewitness. guess Joseph was the eyewitness. <laughs> Does is that, that count? Is he the titular eyewitness? <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't, think, uh, I don't think that this is a great film. I think that they were in a rush to get something in theaters from the same creative team. And they weren't being very discriminating. And there weren't enough people saying, hey, how about you fix this up a little bit? They were just like, you got a pile of Oscars. Go for it. Also, the cover or the poster is very misleading where it shows like her grabbing William Hurt by the arm with a microphone. Like like he's got to tell his story. Like he's being suppressed in some kind of way. Uh, But nothing. He doesn't. He knows nothing. And yeah. And he's and he's also not working to find anything out. Yeah, like he's not trying to solve this mystery. He just saw what he saw that night, and he's playing will they, won't they? Yeah. Also, after that, but also I think it's funny that Sigourney Weaver has like this otherworldly sense in her choice of men. Like she's with Joseph, who is a conspirator and murderer, and you know, international traveler, and and. He's like, I was like, oh, well, I have this janitor who's strangely infatuated with me and has yeah. t- t- trains a dog to be vicious to anyone who comes into the apartment. But he also seems like um, like a uh, Will Hunting type character where it's just like, uh, oh, I'm just the lowly janitor here, but I'm also just bonkers brilliant and uh, I'm completely obsessed with you. I, I felt the other way. I felt more that he was not maybe even on the spectrum. Uh like in that sense like that his he came back from vietnam and was just a little but he doesn't seem troubled like there doesn't seem like there's there's any like residual like problematic effects in his personality he's very open and flirtatious Mm -hmm. and and extroverted with the woman who he's interested in and it's and it's not enough to freak her out he's very honest and forthcoming and and he seems charming like he seems she seems legitimately charmed in places which is weird because you would think that 
for this character to end up in the boiler room of this shitty business that he would ha- he would be a bit of a stranger guy that otherwise he would be working like a higher profile job somewhere where he has to interface with people i think it's a down for me yeah i mean i think it's a down for me because i'm not gonna tell anybody to go see this movie yeah i, I mean i don't think it was we're ragging on it pretty hard i don't think it was as hard as bad as all that but... no it's not it's not a terrible movie i just think that it could have been great with these people and yeah. it ended up not being anything special yeah i agree with that so i i would say it's a down uh i agree it's it's a down um although the cast is retroactively very interesting i know a lot of these people were were getting their careers started at this time yeah but you know just the fact that all these people who are in this movie are very well known now well i don't think anybody nobody did a bad job like i think everybody was great in terms of their acting i think that it just fell apart because the the story was muddled yeah all right letterbox what are we thinking jess um i have it at 11 out of 17 right now okay um it is below sphinx but above fort apache the bronx okay and i think i just fort apache the bronx was pretty boring there wasn't a lot that happened in it sure so it was mildly more entertaining than that um but less unusual than sphinx (laughs) okay (laughs) richard what are you thinking um i actually have it up uh pretty high again most of these movies are going to come down uh but i have it at number six okay uh which it puts it below sphinx uh because i actually really liked sphinx (laughs) i don't know why i like well you both have it below sphinx yeah um stupid movie i like it uh (laughs) it's very goofy and fun uh but above windwalker okay um i have it at nine which is just below fort apache the bronx and just above underground aces um, I think that's everything for this one. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Because this is our first episode of the month again, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign. Vintage Video will always be free to listen to, but if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck a month is greatly appreciated. Our $5 Patreon tier includes a shout-out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. As an added bonus this year, we are starting to fill in some of the blanks from last year with about 20 mini-sodes reviewing titles that didn't make the cut from 1980. Our $5 patrons are choosing between the following nine titles. Nine. I couldn't narrow it down more than I did. The first option, The House That Dripped Blood. It's a British horror anthology film with four stories that take place in the titular blood-dripping house. It stars Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Denim Elliott. The next film, Mephisto Waltz, is a satanic murder mystery starring Alan Alda, Jacqueline Bissett, and Bradford Dillman. And in the trailer, we briefly saw a dog wearing a human head. Yeah, that was the moment <laughs> we just turned the trailer off. We're like, this is going on the list. Yeah. <laughs> Valdez is coming, an American Western directed by Ed Sheeran, not that Ed Sheeran, and based on the Elmore Leonard novel of the same name starring Burt Lancaster. Summer of 42, a coming-of-age film based on the memoirs of Hermie Rocher and directed by How to Kill a Mockingbird director Robert Mulligan, parodied in the Simpsons episode titled The Summer of Four Foot Two. Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Yeah. Melvin Van Peebles' self-produced feature often credited as the foundation of the exploitation genre. It stars Van Peebles and his own son, director Mario Van Peebles, as the title character at different ages. Bananas. Woody Allen's zany comedy about the perpetual revolution of a fictional banana republic. It stars Allen, Louise Lasser, and Carlos Montalbán. You didn't even show me that trailer for me to try to veto that one off the list. I wasn't going to take that one off the list. I like that movie. (laughs) The Incredible Two-Headed Transplant, a low-budget sci-fi horror film shot in six days in Santa Clarita (laughs) about a mad scientist played by Bruce Dern creating a two-headed man with an unquenchable murderous rage. (laughs) Pretty Maids All in a Row, a murder mystery sex comedy written and produced by Gene Roddenberry (laughs) and starring Rock Hudson, Angie Dickinson, and Telly Savalas. Our last film is The Big Dollhouse, one of Death Ship writer Jack Hill's famous women in prison films starring Pam Greer and Sid Haig, each of which will celebrate their 50th anniversaries this coming April. 
If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintage video podcast. And if not, I hope you'll at least do us the honor of continuing to listen. We also have a Discord now. You can find a button at the top of our .com and join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future. You can also search for Vintage Video Podcast on YouTube and subscribe to our new channel there. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Harry's War, which IMDb describes like so. After his aunt dies of a heart attack while fighting the IRS, Harry Johnson decides to take up the cause. We leave you now with the trailer for Harry's War. The Internal Revenue Service made an error on the taxes of Harry Johnson. It's just a misunderstanding. All we'll do is we'll just talk to them. You have to pay your taxes, Mr. Johnson. <laughs> oh, by the way, Johnson, you're trespassing here. This is my property! You call this justice? Hitler would have loved the IRS. See the movie for battle-weary taxpayers. Harry's War, pretty PG. Now showing at a theater near you. Don't miss Harry's War.